Somebody's having some fun with me with these reader glasses. <laughs> if you were here for the first service, you could appreciate why they just did that. Uh, a, mind, a reminder, you might have, when you walked in, you saw a table with these little cups that have the bread and the juice in them. We're going to be taking communion here in just a little bit. So if you haven't had a chance to do that or if you walk past them, if you, you can go get that now. And I would suggest that everyone kind of start peeling back the first couple layers just to... Uh, Be ready, so we're not trying to do that in the dark. So we are beginning the Advent season. The idea is for us to reflect and to meditate on the birth of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. And uh, with that, the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love that comes with that. So this morning, we're going to talk about hope, and I want to read to you from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number three, and this is not a verse that will be up on the screen, but it is in my Bible, and uh, you want to turn to, maybe you just want to listen to it, Ecclesiastes chapter number three, this is written by Solomon, God inspired Solomon to write these words, arguably one of the wisest, if not the wisest of all of humanity, aside from, from Christ. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, He being God has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity into their hearts, their hearts being the people of God. But man cannot discover the work God has done from beginning <clears throat> excuse me, to end. And I want to start with that verse because I want us to recognize that we're hardwired in us, because we're creating the image of God, we are hardwired to think to the future, to dream, to set goals, and those kinds of things. I mean, in many cases, hope keeps people alive. I'm curious, what are you hoping for? What got you out of bed? When you think about the future, what is it that you see? What is it that you dream could be? What is it a goal have you set? Is it to for your body to feel better, to be healthier? Is it to have a child? Or is it maybe for the child that you've had to figure life out? Is it uh, getting good grades? Is, is it uh, wanting to get married? Is it being ready for retirement? And the list could go on. And when we think about the future, we are just simply being who we've been created to be and in, in, in whose image we've been created, and that is God's. And I'm curious, what does the future mean to you? What does the hope in the future mean to you? What, what does it create in you? Does it create excitement or anxiety? I guess it all depends on what your future looks like and what your hope looks like. And I realize that some of you, when I asked you what you hope for or hope in, you kind of thought to yourself, you know, I'm not really aware of anything that just kind of I'm, I'm hopeful for. I'm just, I'm, man, I'm just about today. I'm just trying to get through today. I'm really not thinking about what could be. And others of you I know are probably in a situation right now where there's it's just hopeless. You've looked around. You've said, I don't see a way. I don't see how it's going to happen. I, I don't see a healing. I don't see a reconciliation. 
I don't see the means. Well, this morning, as we step into Advent, what I'd like for us to do is I want us to talk about hope and how do we keep it, or in some cases, how do we reclaim it? Because as, as I mentioned, hope is just, it is, it is important to even living. You take hope away, you've taken a lot of what it means to live. So that's going to be my effort this morning. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the gift of life that you've given us. And we thank you for the futures that are all in front of us. And I know, Lord, that it's your desire that we're hopeful. I pray today that you would help us to understand what that looks like and to grab onto it if we've lost a hold of it and to allow it to even be greater than it is in our lives right now. For your glory, God, may you speak through me as I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. And may you do so in a way that makes us more like your son, Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, well, I'd like to kind of set the mood for Advent. I mean, so some of you, Advent might be, which, by the way, we have this fancy Advent booklet that we're going to give you as you leave. Uh, it's one per family, please, but it's for the whole month. And, and it helps you, and, and in particular, helps families kind of go through some exercises and activities so that we are staying mindful in preparation for the birth of the Messiah. So don't forget to grab one, <clears throat> excuse me, on the way out. But I want to get us in the mood to really understand hope, okay? And I want to, for a moment, I'm not going to revise history, but I'm going to just suggest, or maybe let's use our imagination, what if it had been a little bit different? What if God had come to Columbus and said, I want to make a great nation through you, and, and I've got it all picked out, and, and I, I want you to board a boat, I want you to get other people on that boat, and I'm going to take you to a place, and there might even be some people there, and there's going to be some other explorers who are going to follow, and, and I want through you to create a great nation. And so Columbus gets on board, and other people get on board, and sure enough, he gets there, and, and there's people there, and, and uh, we, we've got the American colonies, and, 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 and they, are, are, they are worshiping God, they're committed to God. And they start to grow and explore. But then they start to kind of drift away from the creator, enamored with created things. And God, in his mercy, brings judgment. And the British come. And imagine if the end of the Revolutionary War was a little bit different. Imagine if the British had won. And now they're, they're there, and they're occupying the land that God had given to Columbus, now called America, to be a great nation. But now you have British occupation, and, and you're reminded of it every day. You walk out, and you see the British soldiers everywhere, and, and you don't have the freedoms that we have, and, and you're just, you're really frustrated, and you're hurting. And then in the, in the churches that have been started, and the pastors and, and, and the spiritual leaders, they begin to talk about a king, a savior, who's going to come and he's going to rescue America from the occupation of the British. And imagine hope just kind of begins to swell and they, they talk about it in preparation for the actual reality. My friends, that is not much different than Israel's real history. You see, in Israel's real history, God came to Abraham and said, I want to make a great nation out of you. And he took him out of his place and he brought him into what is present-day Israel. He said, now worship me as the one true God and I want, to, I want to reveal myself to all peoples. 
And I want to bless all peoples through you as you worship me as the one true God. And sure enough, they do that. But then they begin to drift. And they begin to worship created things, not the creator. And, and God in his judgment and in his mercy brings into the life of Israel attacks. Exiles, enslavements, occupations. As a matter of fact, when we read about the birth of Jesus, uh, Rome has occupied what is Israel's land, what is God's people's land. And so it's not that much different. And there are prophets that would be raised up, that God would raise up these prophets and say, there is one coming. You will not be in this state forever. There is one coming. I'm sending a king. I'm sending a savior. And Isaiah was just one of those prophets that I'd like to read from the book of Isaiah. If you'll get your Bibles open, your table of contents open, to, you'll see your Old Testament table of contents. Isaiah is about halfway through your Old Testament table of contents, and, and that'll get you to chapter 1. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. It's what Jim just read, but let's, let's look at it again. Isaiah chapter number 9. God raises up Isaiah to give hope to his people. In Isaiah chapter number 9, starting with verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled into, uh, when, when he humbled into the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The light has dawned and on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered the, the oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders and the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So these are the words, the hopeful words that Isaiah is sharing with the people of God. And what we have in the New Testament, some seven, eight hundred years later, is we have in Luke chapter one, we have an angel who comes to Mary and has this to say about the birth of the one that she's carrying in Luke chapter one, verses 30 through 33, says, then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. You can kind of hear the echo of Isaiah 9 there. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Again, a reference back to Isaiah chapter 9. And then we have Jesus' very own words in Mark chapter number 14. Listen to Jesus as he acknowledges that he is the Messiah. He is the one that Isaiah foretold of the one that Gabriel told Mary would be and in in Mark chapter number 14 verses 60 through 62 Jesus says this then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you 
but he kept silent and did not answer anything. Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And all of you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with clouds of heaven. So what we have in Jesus, what we, what we celebrate in Christmas, what we're in preparation for through Advent, is that Jesus is, is fulfilling the prophecies and, and the long-awaited hope for a Savior. That is exactly who Jesus said he was, who he knew himself to be. What does that mean for us? I mean, think about that for a moment. We're, we're physically, our, our country, America, uh, has never been invaded, at least not the continental America. We've never been exiled. We've never been enslaved. We've never had an occupation. So what does this mean for us? I mean, we certainly can understand it from Israel's point of view, and, and hopefully that little exercise to kind of get you prepared and me prepared to kind of understand how that would feel, but, but that, how does this apply to us? Well, I think the way it applies to us is though these things have not happened to us physically, they've happened to us internally and spiritually. I, I know that we um, have personally, we, we have all been um, invaded. We've been attacked before uh, by temptation maybe, by disease, by mental illness. I think we've all been enslaved before to addictions. Well, and why do I keep doing this? To these habits I can't just shake. We've been exiled, whether it be through divorce or estrangement or just being left out. And I think we've been occupied. We've been occupied with anxiety and with fear, with lust, with bitterness, I think we can relate to that. And the question, the question is, where does our help come from? We, we need a Savior. What, what hope do we have that these enemies that, that, that come at us and, and that we're fighting a, a fair amount of the time, where does our hope come from? My friends, it's the Christian hope. It's what, what Advent is, is all about. It's what it's leading up to. It is the Christian hope. And I want to talk for a moment. What exactly, when I say that, what does that mean? What, do we, what is the Christian hope? How do we understand it? If that's indeed our hope, then what exactly is it? Well, to do that, uh, I'm going to ask you to either turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, or it should be up on the screen here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says this. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And then in 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse 13, listen to how Peter describes, the writer of Hebrews says, hold on to your hope, unwaveringly hold on to it. What does 1 Peter say? 1 Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, therefore with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews, you're going to see in a moment, in Hebrews chapter 6, the Hebrew writer comes back, he says, seize hope. So what does that mean? Well, I think the first thing it means is that hope is a command, that we're to go after it, that the hope that we need to get up out of bed, the hope that we need to face a really challenging situation, the hope that we need to persevere and not give up, it's there for the taking, my friends. We're actually commanded to seize it, to hold on to it unwaveringly. So the hope 
That is our hope, is a command. Secondly, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Christian hope is a promise. It's out there. And it's a promise. It's the God of all hope. He is the, the repository of hope. And he's just gonna, he wants to give it out in a way that it says what? That it will, will overflow with hope. Does that describe you? Are you overflowing with hope? Am I overflowing with hope? Because it's there. Now, notice it's something that's supernatural because it's, it says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The hope that I speak of, the hope that we need, the hope that we're reading about, the hope that Advent is about, it's not a natural hope. It's not something that you can simply calculate the odds and say, hey, the odds are in my favor. I feel pretty good. Something much more than that. It's supernatural. It's by the Spirit of God inside of us that gives us that hope in which we can overflow in that hope if we believe in Him. So this Christian hope, it's a command. It's a promise. It's also a living hope. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, not 13, but 1 Peter chapter 3. Listen to what Peter says here. Chapter number 3, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My friends, Jesus is alive and He is present and through the power of the Holy Spirit inside the life of a follower of Christ who has put their faith and trust in Jesus' work and not their own, we have the supernatural ability to have hope that's not merely temporal. It's not circumstantial. It is assured because it is alive. Why is it alive? Because Jesus conquered death. And he speaks words of hope. We can get behind that guy. Our hope, my friends, is a sure thing because of the work of Christ. So, it's commanded. It's promised. It's a living hope. Fourthly, Hebrews chapter 6, I keep bouncing back to Hebrews chapter 6, or in Hebrews, last to say about hope in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, says, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, that would be the people of God, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things, that being his promise and his taking an oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, he who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope, there it is, that's what I was referring to, to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. I love that expression. The hope that we're talking about, the Christian hope, the supernatural hope that's there for the taking, that, that we're to seize, can be the anchor in your life. That when everything else is blown around and going crazy, we are rooted. We are, we are, we are, we are set firmly in the ground with the hope that we have that's been given to us that will not shake us. That's the hope that we're promised. That's the hope that we need. That's the, and that's a secure thought. If, when you think about it, the, the different hopes that we have, the one secure hope we have in Jesus. My friends, that's a securing hope. It will get you through and see you through when everything else is going crazy. Now, 
I realize for some of you, and, and at times for me too, that, that's not as true in my life as it seems to be when I read this. I don't always go through with this real sense of security and assurance that all will be well. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. And I find that when I don't, and the struggle that I have, and I think it's where most of us are, is when our focus and our perspective is earthly and not eternal. You see, this promise of, a, of an anchor for our lives that secures the hope that we have, that is an eternal promise that points to an eternal reality. I, I think at times in my life, and I would suspect in your lives as well, that our time horizon is far more shorter than what we've been created for. We are beings that have been created for eternity. As I said before, it's hardwired into us. Because we're bombarded with all kinds of messages and, and, and artificial uh, desires are created in us for the things that are temporal, that are, that are close by, that are, that are on a short time horizon, is it any wonder that we're anxious, afraid, but we have for us this Christian hope that becomes this, this anchor that can hold us down. And the last thing I want to say about the Christian hope is in Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44. This is Jesus speaking about his return. Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44. Jesus says, therefore, be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what the the time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you must also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So similar to the Jews who were waiting for their Messiah, who, who had been told through prophets that he was coming, now we are waiting for Jesus to return. We're waiting for his second coming. We're hoping that he returns. And what Jesus tells us about is in this time that we're waiting and hoping that we're to be alert, to be ready. Does that describe you? When you woke up this morning, what gets you out of bed? Was there a thought at all about, man, my hope is in the return of Christ? Because Jesus is saying, live in light of that hope. So for some of you who I mentioned earlier that you kind of thought, I really, when you said, do I have a hope? I, I'm just not aware of one. Well, here's one to be aware of and, and, and to stay aware of. I mean, Jesus is saying, be ready, be on alert because we don't know when he's coming. But we know by hope that he is coming. I'd also say for those of you whose, whose hope is maybe malnourished and you realize it really is my time horizon on the things that I'm looking forward to, man, it's not that far out. And the things that I'm hopeful for are really... No, don't really have any eternal significance. It's going to make good for life here, but man, do you realize you've been created for far more than life here? And I think if we stay mindful of Jesus' return and focused on his return, God will do something with that. Now, my, my question is, do you know where you are? Do you know where your focus is? Because if we really know where our focus is, we look at three places. It's very simple. Three, we look first at our budget, our money will tell us where our focus is and how we spend it. Do the same for me. Second is our time. Our time will tell us what we do and for who we do it will tell us where our focus is. 
And then thirdly, it's our emotions and our passions. What really energizes us? What really excites us? I know the Seahawks do. It's evident. I love football too. I really hope football's in heaven. I really do. And I at times have been, I've expressed more emotion and passion watching a football game than I have in a worship service. I am guilty of that. Which at times reveals, I think, where my focus is. And I suspect it might be the same for you as well. So these, these are the things that make up and help us understand what the Christian hope is, which is the hope that we need for that secure assurance that when everything's going crazy. Well, what is our part? Remember it said to seize it, to hold unwaveringly to it. What does that look like? How do we do that? Well, thank you for asking. I think the first thing we have to do is we have to realize that you know where your hope comes from. I mean, the object of our hope is Jesus. Got that. Okay. But where does our hope come from? Our hope comes from our faith. You see, hope is really faith in a future tense. You see, faith now is, in our understanding of God now, is, is we, we understand who God is, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, uh, loving, uh, grace-filled God, um, merciful God. We, we know that now, but, but we need to project that into the future so that when we're hoping for things, we're hoping for the right things grounded in the faith that we have now. So hope becomes the projection and the trusting of God with our future. Which presupposes that if our faith is that important to our hope and our faith in Jesus is that important to our hope, then our connection with Jesus better be important. And my friends, you cannot do that coming one Sunday a week. I can't do that preparing to speak to you one Sunday a week. In the same way, and the Bible uses marriage as a powerful metaphor uh, to, to help us understand God's relationship with us. Can you imagine uh, your marriage if you talked to your spouse for an hour, one hour a week? And I know some of you may think, well, we're trying to pull that off right now, and it's not going well, and it never will. And so in order for us to have a strong hope, we have to have a close, strong connection with Christ. Secondly, is we are to reflect on the promises of God. When everything is going crazy, when you look around, and where does hopelessness come from? Hopelessness comes from when you look around, you say, we've tried everything. I've talked to everyone. I've spent all I can spend. I've gone to every uh, specialist that I can. And I got nothing. And then you just, just kind of sit there. What do you do there? How do you get out of that? My friends, you go to the Word of God. You go to the promise of God. You go to this, this verse right here, which I have recited more times than not in a dentist chair. It says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I mean, while Mr. Thirsty's in my mouth, I'm just, I'm just in my head. Because I do not like. That was a little quote from Kramer and Seinfeld. If anyone picked that up. But anyways... That's, that's a, did you hear the promise in that? Do you hear the hope in that? Secondly, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He, being God, did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. Now will he not also with him grant us everything? 
I love the Bible's using logic. Paul is saying, if God did the hard thing and gave up his son, can't he and won't he do the other things that you need to follow him? Of course he will. I mean, that again, that's just a, a promise that's just filled with hope. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to do a much better job than I did last service. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Listen to the, the, the hope in these words. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. This is Paul and, and, and the, uh, the, the afflictions that he was incurring in his ministry. He says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I mean, these are, these are powerful verses of hope. To the one who's really hopeless in here, run to these things. Um, let, let these promises just cascade over your head and your heart so that it can infuse and inflate hope, that you can reclaim it again. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about Job, and we said that Job didn't have so much a suffering problem as he had a knowledge problem. He thought he knew, and he thought, he, he thought through, I haven't done anything wrong. This doesn't make any sense. So it must be wrong. And God was saying, who darkens the hallway of my decisions? That's the Sullivan paraphrase. Um, the idea being, we, we don't know everything there is to know. Trust the one that does. Go to the promises from the one that does. Pray your heart out. I, I would suggest, if you're in that hopeless place, pray through Psalms, the Psalm 60, 60 through 69. Powerful um, pleadings to God. Thirdly, in terms of how do we um, uh, seize this, this hope that I speak of, is we remember God's faithfulness. That's what we do. We go back and we think through. This is why I, I journals. I go back and I look at how God has been faithful. Or we go back and we thank God endlessly for all, all that we can because we're just building in our heads the hope that we need for the faithfulness of God in the past. He commanded his people to um, have feasts and festivals, to erect these stones, um, memorable uh, ways to remember stones called masabas, these standing stones. It was to remember the things that God had done because his character is unchanging. And so when they begin to doubt, when their hope begins to leak, go back to his character, go back to his faithfulness and let God inflate in you and help you to reclaim the hope that was there. And so that's how we get there. That's how we understand it. That's how we get there. I, let me close by saying this. When Jesus came as the Messiah, he didn't come the way they hoped he would come. And that was a big problem for many of them. You see, Jesus came not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. He's coming back as a conquering king, and that's what we await. But what he came was not to rescue them from their occupiers, in a physical sense. He came to rescue them from sin. He came to rescue them from the, the spiritual occupiers and the spiritual, uh, uh, those who enslaved them spiritually and the, those who, who exiled them inside. And, you know, and for us, Jesus hasn't come the way we had hoped that he'd come. You see, a lot of us, the way we want Jesus is we want him as our helper, not as our savior. You see, because we think we're okay. We're, we're, we're all right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, you know, I just need a little help every now and then to, to, to get God's attention and, and, and to impress him. And, and that's what I call on Jesus. 
But that's not how he came, and that's not who you are. It's not who I am. We're broken beyond measure. We're depraved. We're spiritually bankrupt, and we don't need a helper. We need a Savior. Not somebody that we can work our way to God because we can't. We can simply just put our face down and, I am so sorry to a holy God. I accept the gift of Jesus and what he's done for me and begin in me a new life through Christ. That's what we need. Hope in our works creates fear and anxiety, but hope in the grace of God, my friends, there's hope is unlimited in that sense. So my challenge for us this week is, first, this booklet that you're going to pick up, one per family, work through the booklet this week. You're going to have it for the whole month. Work through the booklet. Secondly is I would encourage you to spend 15 minutes a day thanking God for everything that comes to mind, everything that comes to mind. Because as you thank God for everything, and you, if you can, find the same place, find the same time, if you can. But if you can't, just be real intentional. For 15 minutes, just thank and thank. Write it down if you have to, but thank him and thank him. My friend, you're going to see hope inflate. And that, that anchor for our lives get heavier and hold you down better. And the same with me. And that's what God would want for us as we begin to prepare for the coming of our Savior. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, and you've given us Jesus in whom we hope, not in our circumstances, not in outcomes, but in him. And he is alive And for that, our hope is assured. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're going to do now is, um, if hopefully you, if you came in and and you didn't see the, at the back, the cups, we're going to take communion. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we would say, you know, why don't you just hold off? We don't want to put you in a a situation that you're not comfortable with, that you don't know what's going on. But what we're going to do now is, Peel back that first layer, and let's get to the little wafer there, the bread. And, and Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he, he symbolically said, this is my body. He says, it's going to be broken for you. You see, it, it, it required someone sinless like Jesus to have any effect on your sin and my sin. And Jesus' body was broken when he was nailed to a tree. Let's take this mindful that he stood in your place and my place for that purpose. If you'll peel back the juice. After the bread, Jesus took a cup of wine. And again, metaphorically, he said, this is my blood. And they were familiar with that because they came annually with animals to sacrifice. The blood would cover the altar, and it was symbolic of God was covering their sins for the year, but they would have to do it year after year. But Jesus came to die for our sins once and for all, which is why he was fully God and fully man. And so let's take this juice mindful that Jesus' blood was spilled, was shed to cover us for our sins, past, present, and future, forgiveness for eternity. Father, thank you for the reminder, the necessary reminder that we need for all that Jesus did for us. And God, thank you 
for the hope that we have in Christ because he is alive. And his death satisfied for us the forgiveness we need in you and from you for the resurrection tells us so. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.